The Police Box in the Junkyard podcast is a proud member of Direction Point, a Doctor Who podcast network. Allons-y. I'm sorry. It's French, but let's go. This is the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. On this podcast we travel all of time and space discussing Doctor Who in a completely random order. It's a brilliant idea. It's so simple only you could have thought of it. Oh. I'm the Doctor. These are my new best friends. It's the entire Hooniverse on Shuffle with your hosts. Eric Goldbranson. Asad Keshke. And Matthew Kressel. I'm the Doctor, and if there's one thing I can do, it's talk. There's something you better understand about me, because it's important. And one day, your life may depend on it. I am definitely a madman with a box. And now we're getting somewhere. More like a big ball of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Police Box and the Junkyard podcast. I'm Eric Goldbranson, and with me in the TARDIS, as always, Mr. Asad Keski, Mr. Matthew Kressel. How you doing tonight, guys? Good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I'm surviving. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I can't complain too much, and but I often do. So. <laughs> as is everyone's right. But, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I have customers at my day job who will be like, can't complain. And I'm like, would it do you any good if you did? <laughs> yes, so true. It often does not. What's new with you guys, especially anything in uh, the world of Doctor Who? I know, actually, I don't think we've we've had done a recording since uh, Assad, you have returned from Gallifrey 1. Um, you want to tell us a little bit about that experience and how, how'd it go? Um, oh, it was um, fun. Uh and I should have I should have made notes about how it uh, was. It's all it's a little bit more of a party atmosphere than uh, Chicago Tardis. Um, there's just more people. Um, made some new friends. Um, lots of cosplaying going on. Uh, lot of interesting uh, panels. Um, yeah, so I had a great time. <laughs> it was great to be there. Yeah, I do hope someday to get out there. It's uh, on the on the bucket list for sure. But I would like to make it a regular occurrence. Actually. I'm figure between that and chicago tardis i I could fit another convention into my schedule (laughs) at least on a semi-annual basis i'm sure but yeah yeah galley is on my bucket list i am yeah i've been saying that for almost a decade now so yeah yep same here ever pretty much since i started doing chicago tardis and i'd hear people talk about it i'd be like oh i'd really like to get out there and then you know you start looking at it every year and like the lineups and um, you know, it's cause it's just a little bit bigger event than, than Chicago TARDIS is. And, uh, yeah, so it's definitely the, the one that, uh, I would like to get to someday, but one of many, but it's, the, it's probably the, the biggest one I want to get to. Yeah. <laughs> it's been kind of quiet, uh, around the world of Dr. Who news, at least if you, you know, want to keep reading the same five rumors about what David Tennant is or isn't doing involved with the 60th <laughs> anniversary special. <laughs> But um, otherwise, it's been been a bit quiet. Have you, have you guys been enjoying anything Doctor Who wise, books, rewatching some shows? I mean, other than what I'm forcing you to rewatch for the podcast. But <laughs> uh, yeah, so I need to get back. I mean, I finished Planet of Evil, and I need to move forward from that. I, you've seen. I like to put little uh, stuff on uh, Facebook after I finish watching the episode. But I'm like. Uh, three stories behind for some reason i still need to write about uh, revenge of the cybermen and uh, terror of the zygons and then planet of evil so um, i need to move forward on that 
I've been enjoying Big Finish of, I think it was the most recent Third Doctor Adventures release, I think came out last month, uh, The Annihilators, which is a, which is a hoot. If you like early Pertwee, particularly Season 7, there is a lot to enjoy in that. And also they've introduced in that uh, Michael Troughton taking over from his father playing the second Doctor and right. Fraser Hines still there as Jamie. Uh, so that was fun. What I'm actually excited about at the moment, when we, the trailer for which just came out yesterday, I think it was, is the revival of the Doctor Who Unbound range. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, right, uh, right. yes. You were, yeah. Yeah. You mentioned that last time. That that definitely sounds interesting. And I think it's about time they brought it back. It's Well, <laughs> multiverse is a big, big deal these days, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think they'd be fools not to kind of get into that whole, yeah. The what what they're doing at Marvel and what they're gonna end up doing with some of the DC films, I believe yeah. as well. It's not it's, uh, all the rage. It's not so. like it's any extra <laughs> investment for them. <laughs> they don't need to right? make any new yeah. sets or anything. Just make Colin Baker the Doctor of War or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I saw I saw the. I don't know if I've heard the trailers, but I saw some of the promo material for the new Stranded box set that Colin Baker is going to be right. in, as well as playing an. I think kind of a curator esque character or an older because he's, he's yeah he is playing the curator. Um, it's we don't know the exact details. It's all it's one of those things they've promised it'll make sense in story context. Right. The, yeah, one of the things in Stranded for the last set or two has been that something's been going on with time, so presumably something's happened to the curator as well in the process, so it'll be interesting to hear, that's for sure. I mean, we're in the middle of a six-doctor renaissance at Big Finish, which is a weird <laughs> thing to say, given yeah. <laughs> given that, you know, we've already had a six-doctor renaissance at Big Finish. Uh, but it's mm -hmm. definitely it's definitely the year of Colin Baker, that's for damn sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, with Chicago Tardis this, this last fall, Colin himself said that he... Uh, had done so many big finish recently, he couldn't even remember all of them off the top of his head. And I'm starting to believe him when I see the list of things that are coming out. So uh, his head's got to be spinning, honestly. So yeah, I need to get back to exploring them, uh, exploring a little more. Yeah, it's it's begun to be a bit of a daunting task, honestly. Like it, like. I don't know what it what it needs, but it feels to me, and this is just my two cents, but it feels to me like it needs a new, like when we talked about uh, Blood of the Daleks a couple week or a couple months ago, uh, a new like easy in point, like some kind of a re soft reboot somewhere that can bring just a place like, hey, new listeners, right here is the place to start. Maybe that already exists, but I haven't heard, you know, we, we being. Chicago Tardis regulars see a lot of Jason Hay Gallery and Nick Briggs and um, we I haven't heard them pitch anything quite at that angle right. and I feel like uh, maybe it's time for another one right. <laughs> they're kind of doing a soft reboot at the moment anyways because they've one of the things they've talked about if you listen to the Big Finish podcast is they've dropped you know volume whatever off of a lot of the sets and part of that was for sales reasons because they started noticing that people started looking at like you know was it the Third Doctor Adventures was up to like volume 8 or 9 at this point before they the Annihilators came out they were kind of like people were like yeah I don't want to have to have listened to all of them they're like well, you don't have to. So 
I think that was part of what they did with the Annihilators when they dropped, because I think it should have been like volume nine or ten. So mm-hmm. that they dropped it off there, and it was very much pitched in the CD extras by Nicholas Briggs as being kind of a reboot of the range. Okay to an extent, and then playing around with and going and going forward. And also, you know, they're launching a whole new Second Doctor range, which is part of the reason why they, they snuck in the Second Doctor and Jamie into the Annihilators. So they're kind of doing that at the moment. Um, same thing with the Fourth Doctor set that's just come out solo. Um, should have been, dear God, volume 15 or 16 <laughs> of that. Um, and they decided they dropped the number on that and went with the subtitles. So that seems to be the way they're going at the moment. But I think it's it's been something they've done that I don't know if, it, as you said, if it's something that they need to be a bit more explicit that, hey, that's what we're doing. Uh, but it is something that they seem to be doing anyway. I mean, they still have the one off. I was actually just uh, taken a driven down to Rochester last weekend. So I listened to um, the Gray Man of the Mountain. So. Fin- oh, finally got to hear John Culshaw's Brigadier. I was uh, quite impressed. Uh, but yeah, it was a it was a fun one. Yeah, I have not heard much of the uh, recent Third Doctor series, so I always intended on picking it up, and now it's like snowballed to the point. But but I got to stop being like that. Like you were just saying, like I don't, I have to stop being like, well, I have to hear Volume One, Two, Three, Four, and all that, and just kind of like dive in because it's essentially what I did with the rest of Big Finish. So I don't yeah. know why I'm being like that with the new stuff. So <laughs> I'm just because I was around when Volume One came out, it doesn't mean I have to hear Volume One. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're if you're gonna listen to the most, if you're gonna pick somewhere, and because most of the sets are standalone anyway, I mean, Volume, the most recent Volume Seven and Eight are probably are good places to jump on. Yeah, in, in my opinion, for you know whatever that's worth. Yeah, and I'm looking forward. I got to dig back into some some newer big finish. I I had jumped back and was listening to some old favorites, and then it's been a while since I've actually sat down and listened to one, and I'm I'm kind of itching to do it. Other than I think the last one I listened to was the one we did for the podcast. So yeah, yeah I'll probably go back and yeah. check what the third Doctor ones where John Culshaw joined. So I think that's starting with Volume Five, if memory serves. Okay. Yeah, I like to. Yeah. I have to look. Yeah. I am I am nerd here, me boy. <laughs> You're an information oh, resource. <laughs> that's right. I've been called and worse. Uh, yeah, I know it's 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 great. And I, it's great to follow your uh your column for um oh uh, what's it called? Warp Factor. Yep. Uh because I I was for a long time kind of picking some of my uh big finish listening based on whether you would recommend something or not. So oh, thank um, you. Yeah, and so I think for out of everything that I had picked out that you had recommended, you're pretty much batting a thousand. So that's uh, I'll, ke- I'll keep doing that if I get into <laughs> getting new ones again, which I need to do. Yeah, right. and the the recent Nine Doctors stuff too is is quite good, especially the last couple of sets in particular have been really good as well. I mean, all four of them are worth are worth listening to, but if you're going to be kind of choosy about it, I'd say vol- the, the two most recent volumes, three and four, are probably the ones to go with. And now we take a quick break to let you know about some other excellent podcasts that you should check out. They all say who is Doctor Who? Do you collect Doctor Who? Do you have Doctor Who items and you don't know you collect Doctor Who? For all things in the Doctor Who collecting world, tune in to the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast, a Direction Point Network podcast. I am Larry Van Mersbergen, your host, and I have been collecting Doctor Who for 40 years. 
With the popular feature like collection protection and the most outrageous offer, there's a lot of fun to be had. We're available anywhere you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Police Box in a Junkyard podcast, a Direction Point Network podcast. Hello, fellow time travelers, and welcome to the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast, the only podcast to discuss, in story order, all the Doctor Who novelizations. My name is Tony Whip, and every two weeks or so, I'm joined by a two- to three-person discussion panel, including our so-called expert who's been a Who fan since 1979. That would be me. We also get the views of intermediate, casual, and novice fans who either have never seen the show or who have never read these books until these podcasts, including Dalton Hughes and Alison Fitzsafried. You can find us on iTunes, Stitchers, or wherever you find good podcasts, or even ones like ours. You're listening to the Police Box in a Junkyard podcast on the Direction Point Podcast Network. I'm Juliet. And I'm Nathan. Experience Doctor Who from the very beginning through a classic fan's eyes. And through the eyes of a new Who fan. Reminisce and relive those classic moments with Nathan as he offers fun insight. Or experience them for the first time with Juliet as she dwells on social issues, history, fashion, and the size of a flashlight. We're the Time Streams Podcast. Find us on Spotify, Stitcher, or Apple Podcasts. You're listening to Police Box in a Junkyard. Are you ready to travel through time with us? Then check out Traveling the Vortex, a Doctor Who podcast. For nearly seven years and more than 500 episodes, we've traveled from one end of the vortex to the other, making different stops with different doctors, reviewing everything from TV stories to audio plays, from books to comics, and more. Sean, Keith, and Glenn take you on a journey through 50-plus years of Doctor Who episodes and spinoff materials. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, so be sure to check us out. And now, we're a proud member of Direction Point, a Doctor Who podcast network. You're listening to Police Box in the Junkyard Podcast. So I suppose we should probably get to uh, the show we need to talk about, because I actually found when I started typing out notes, like I had an awful lot to say here, maybe we'll fly through it, but uh, don't want to keep us here too long. So um, I lost my notes, accidentally got deleted like three-fourths of the way through the Magician's Apprentice, so I was like, I'm going to be relying more on memory this time. (laughs) But yeah, yeah, there was a lot. I'm that happening to me a couple of times is why I've become old-fashioned again and started taking notes on paper while I'm watching stuff. And then, then I'll go through it because I could just toss out the stuff that I, you know, I'll write stuff right. down and be like, oh, I want to talk about this. I don't want to talk about that. And I'll make notes eventually on the computer. But yeah, probably making more work for myself than necessary, but keeps my brain sim- somewhat organized, as organized as possible. So. So yeah, so tonight's episode, episodes that we're going to talk about is the season premiere from Series 9 of uh, New Doctor Who, and uh, that is The Magician's Apprentice and The Witch's Familiar. Help me! Someone, please! Help me! Planes have stopped. Is the doctor. 
It's a confession, Doc. The last will and testament of the Time Lord, known as the Doctor. What have you done? Also, we added on for fun the uh, prologue chapter, The Doctor's Meditation, which was shown in uh, movie theaters with the 3D version of the prior season's finale, which I believe is Death in Heaven and Dark Water. Um, so we got a little, when we when we all went to see that in movie theaters, we got a little short um, prologue to the uh, um, upcoming, what was then the upcoming season. It was just started shortly after. Um the let me grab a quick synopsis here for uh at least for i was gonna ask how you guys wanted to do this should we go episode by episode or should we talk about the whole thing because it's really all one big story um how do you prefer to do it i'm okay with i'm okay with talking about the whole thing yeah we can do the whole thing because it's as you said it's one as much as we as much as we separate this into a two-parter or even a even three if you include the doctor's meditation it is one big story Right. Yeah. And it's, it's, it doesn't really have like, it's not even like chapter, like it's just to be, you know, jumps right into the next yeah. thing. So, um, okay. there's also another so shorter you... prologue as well with set on Karn, which I, yes. And I, <laughs> I did watch that as well. If, uh, if, if, so if we, if, we, because I didn't mention it, I felt like I, uh, would, it would be unfair to include it. But, uh, if everyone saw that too, we yep. could mention that as well. Yeah. There's a, brief uh basically a conversation between the doctor and uh the sisterhood of karn um so yeah what do you guys uh or here let me yeah sorry getting sidetracked let me grab that synopsis for you the doctor is trapped in the place that is the nightmare of all time lords scarrow the home planet of the daleks forced to keep davros company the doctor will be tempted by the dying madman to try to trying to do something for the greater good of the universe is this really what Davros had intended, or does he have something else up his sleeve? Elsewhere, the Doctor's best friend and Clara Oswald are figuring out how to rescue him. I love how I love that in the synopsis they don't even say Missy's name; they just call her yes. the Doctor's best friend. So. <laughs> I mean, the synopsis uh, kind of throws out all the uh, surprises. <laughs> yeah. The mess. yeah, I hope nobody's reading this before they've seen the show or, or listening before. I should get better at spoiler warnings, but. Uh, yeah, it's basically, if you guys are listening to this podcast, we're we're always kind of in spoiler warning territory. So I mean, th- um, this is seven is... going on eight years old. I think th- I think they've had time. Oh yeah, yeah, and that's kind of crazy that you say that because I was, you know, as I was kind of like doing putting my notes together, it occurred to me that oh my gosh, this is about to be eight years old. So <laughs> um, seems like it was just the other day. Like these are new episodes, and yeah. they're not. So. Right. <laughs> features uh, Peter Capaldi as the 12th Doctor uh, Jenna Coleman as his companion Clara um, Michelle Gomez of course as uh, Missy so yeah written by Stephen Moffat directed by Hattie McDaniel this two part episode uh, starts off um, following a character called Colony Sar- Sarf who is a uh, <laughs> a colony literally of snakes so a snake person made up of multiple snakes that can kind of turn it just <laughs> i love this character because he's so memorable kind of i if you're not a if you're a person that has a snake phobia i think he's yeah. probably pretty memorable too <laughs> yep. but, um, indiana jones's <laughs> biggest nemesis uh, colony sarf <laughs> right yeah he did i'm not sure he has a whole lot to do besides be davros's errand boy which is a little um 
disappointing because I think he's kind of a cool character, but we get to see him, you know, transform in and out of right. multiple snakes <laughs> a couple of times in the episode. So it's fun. So let's go all the way back to, because I almost skipped it again, uh, the Doctor's Meditation, since we're going to include that that prologue piece. Um, what do you guys think of this uh, kind of promo uh, short for the uh, beginning of the ninth series? Uh, it's uh, it's kind of Stephen Moffat going back to his more comedic roots. Um, yeah, it's very light and um, it's yeah fun to watch. Um, inconsequential to or unnecessary to see um, for enjoying the main story, but um, entertaining. It's a couple of yeah, little can... sorry. No, go ahead, sorry. No, I mean, there's a couple of little insightful moments between Bors and the Doctor towards the end, as one may expect. Yeah, I mean, I could agree with all that. I mean, it's 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 a fun little prologue, and until I saw it, in fact, been directed by somebody else entirely, I initially thought that it may have been, because there's, there's location shooting in it, and there's all of that, and it's like, this is not usually what these prologues are. They're usually stuff that's shot basically on the side of the set one day, you know, because I was convinced until I saw it had been directed by somebody else that it was, in fact, something that was shot for the episode that they had cut for time. And it's not, uh, which really surprised me, given the way it just perfectly leads into the first scene of The Magician's Apprentice. It, it's it's a fun little throwaway thing. It's like seven minutes long. And it was it made for sort of fun little viewing in the cinema because um, they showed it um, right after when they did the screening of it. There was also an interview, at least here in the States, uh, where Will Wheaton interviewed Capaldi and Jenna Coleman. Yeah. And that was, in, you know, then it was like, well, one, and now that we're done with the interview, let's watch this exclusive preview, blah, 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 blah. And that was kind of, you know, the context of it, at least when I first saw it. And it, as you said, Asad, it's, it's kind of inconsequential, but it does set up a little bit more of the Doctor's friendship with Boars and how mm -hmm. they've come to kind of know each other. And also what the Doctor was doing for those three weeks. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's quite, it's a quite a bit of fun, right. but it's, I don't think it's necessary for the story, nor is the other prologue, for that matter. No. I don't think there's anything essential here. You're not going to be lost if you yeah. don't see it. But it is fun. Um, I think it's it's got a lot of good, funny dialogue, legitimately funny stuff. And um, the Doctor is just... I mean, right away reminds me, coming back to this, how, how much I like Peter Capaldi right. as the Doctor, the 12th yeah. Doctor. And he, he just kind of, like, the way he just kind of leaps off the screen <laughs> and he's just... Um, he also like reminds me of some of my uh, perhaps not best qualities, like his his feelings about meditation and getting to work and kind of like all of his his literally <laughs> avoiding all the things he's supposed to do. And he he has some great lines about you know not being able to kind of sit down and clear his mind. And it's like this is how I felt every time I've tried meditation in any <laughs> form or just you know trying to even fall asleep. Sometimes this is a problem for me. So I get it. Like I feel like I'm in a headspace with the doctor, which is yeah. rare, you know. So Stephen um, Moffat did but... <laughs> use a couple of his jokes from the power of from that we used in the Power of Three, <laughs> which was like yeah, Chibnall, yeah, but that's a different... <laughs> yeah, but. And it, I think it does two things, and it sets the flavor for, for the next series very well. Um, it First of all, the dialogue's so good. And kind of going backwards, um, 
don't want to get into any kind of a conversation about current Doctor Who. I'm fine with current Doctor Who, and we've covered that before. Um, but Stephen Moffat's writing, and especially writing for Peter Capaldi, is very mm-hmm. like. I, it's just it's it, they're kind of like a match made in you know heaven or whatever you want to say. <laughs> like it just he his words it through Peter Capaldi works so well. The dialogue's so good. There's so much. Um, good stuff there so it's like coming back to it's comfort food i guess is what it's just like oh this is you know this is what this was like i remember this and i remember how many people hated this at the time too and i was just like what you're crazy so uh, (laughs) now singing it's now five years five five to ten years later singing it's praises but that's a story for another podcast (laughs) that's the usual doctor who cycle so yeah we'll see 10 years down the road what people are yeah yeah so yeah i think it was fun it's definitely worth watching if you're if if you're a fan of, you know, the 12th Doctor in this uh, era. Um, oh, I don't remember. I said there was two things. I never even got to my second one. Doing that too much tonight. Um, my second one is that um, the Doctor certainly post-season 8, uh, and I think we're, we're very aware that some time has passed because we see a lot of progression in the Doctor. We see a lot of progression in, in Clara as well. Um, and this sets a tone that okay the doctor's lightened up a little bit like right away because we got a comedy piece kind of it's almost like it was written to kind of assure the critics of series eight that he was too intense and too grumpy and too um that oh hey you know everything's okay he's he's worked some stuff out and he's much more jovial now like (laughs) um but capaldi can still it's in that last scene of this there's the way he just flips on a dime from the comedic to the serious and it's just it's exactly what you Mm -hmm. want in a doctor right yeah 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 yep and i think if we if i can jump to then the prologue the short just for a moment i think because that then also has that uh which I guess it's not a totally original line, which I realized after doing a little reading about it, but just his line about that um, uh, an enemy is a friend that you haven't gotten to know well yet. I thought that was like an, mm-hmm. you know, was, the Capaldi doctor starts out really grumpy and possibly push the half-faced man off off a balloon. But <laughs> <laughs> so this is, and this isn't even necessarily right. consistent with the way the doctor has been shown, even in the Stephen Moffat area. But um, I guess a line like that is how I would like the doctor to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think, it, I think it is, it's, it's showing the progression of, you know, the, cause he has, a, he has an arc in series eight that kind of has him chasing this. Am I a good man? Um, you know, kind of analyzing the doctor and and what who he is as a character and and how he interacts with other people and um kind of addressing some of the concerns i think that you could address the series of it being kind of a great white hope thing or um you know a i don't know an elitist in some ways or whatever so he's they're kind of dissecting the character and and i think it's really it especially in hindsight i was a little i was a little iffy on it at first but in hindsight it's done fairly well i in my opinion i um, but yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't Matt Smith. It wasn't, it, there's always that transitional period. And I think people were a little off put by this doctor, especially his, uh, I think the grouchiness was one thing, but we've, we've seen that before. I think a lot of it was more of the questioning of himself, right. like his, you know, is the doctor really as good as, right. you know, 
He, right. he believes yeah. himself. To I don't be. think it helped that so. with they felt like watching series eight at the time and going back and sampling episodes here and there since then, but that it really felt like nobody quite knew who they were writing for when they did that first Capaldi season because his character his characterization to some extent was kind of all over the place. You know, there were some episodes where he was very grouchy and he was very questioning. There were episodes like The Caretaker where they were playing things more comedically. You had things like Kill the Moon where mm -hmm. he took off for half an episode and then came back. And it's <laughs> like, it was like nobody yeah. quite knew how to pitch it to some extent. And I think some of it was a bit like putting that scene with Matt Smith at the tail end of... Um, deep breath that it was kind of felt like they didn't quite know where they were aiming and it was kind of like I think in some ways they overcompensated in places and it really in yeah. some ways it feels like that this was really the series where they finally figured out who Capaldi's doctor was mm -hmm. yeah I feel like from the get go and we could you know kind of transition this into uh, Magician's Apprentice as well or and the whole, the whole thing really I think we'll just all jam it all together but um yeah, I think from this point forward, they, he, I don't know if he or they or whatever, but it, it, they pretty much have it nailed down. And he's, I mean, he's just right. brilliant from here on out. Um, yeah. Not that he's bad in, in Series 8, but yeah, I agree with you, Matthew. That they, they had a little bit of trouble with um, who exactly are, is the Doctor, you know, like, um, which is funny because that's what the story is <laughs> about. Yeah, too, from, yeah. And they definitely <laughs> pulled the Doctor back into a more typically Doctory, heroic uh, sort of um, figure. Even with this uh, occasional issues of uh, relating with humans and all that stuff, uh, flat yeah. flashcards and everything, but uh, but his his overall attitude is uh, more, I guess, doctory. Now that he realizes that he's just a madman yeah. with a box. <laughs> yeah. What is, it, what is it he says to Missy uh, towards the end of uh, Death in Heaven that I'm just an idiot right. with a box. <laughs> yeah. So I, I remember seeing this one and in the and with the even with or without the prologues i think it doesn't it doesn't necessarily it's not essential it certainly doesn't hurt to see them um but the the cold open of mm. this um of the magician's apprentice was one of the moments where like because because i admit i had admit to having some mixed feelings about series eight so i was kind of like you know we we're all sitting down buckling in for okay what are we going to get here and um by the time the credits were rolling and we got that first Davros reveal, I was like, okay, you have my attention. So like, I'm ready to go. So, uh, and I, I feel like, yeah, it was, um, from, from there on out that I was, uh, pretty much in for the ride. So they did something mm -hmm. right. I think, uh, some of the, the dialogue and, and bits and, um, and I, I have to go back and really dissect series eight again. I've, I've seen some of the, uh, episodes, but I feel like they got, uh, they, they caught something um, in Peter Capaldi that just works in this series season. First of all, the two-parters was genius. I think this doctor works better slowly. It gives uh, time for character scenes. Uh, Peter Capaldi more than maybe anybody else. And there's been some great, uh, obviously, I, I, I enjoy every doctor, honestly. I think it's a great bunch of actors. They've never, never really had anyone poor in the performance but uh peter capaldi mm -hmm. can deliver a speech almost like no other um so giving him room to breathe and that they're um the story's uh room to develop so it, ha it takes on kind of a little more classic style using this two episode format um for the whole series 
and I was really, really enjoying that and kind of, kind of wish they kind of would have just stuck with that, but, um, or doing kind of multi-episode arcs, and I know they just, uh, we just got done with another one, and to me, this one was nowhere near as, the current one was nowhere near as, uh, satisfying as this was, because, <laughs> um, anyway yeah long long story is i feel like this was this series was really well realized and played to the strengths of all all everyone involved so. yeah, i really wanted to continue watching because i haven't really rewatched most contemporary who um uh, beyond its first uh, screening there's a few stories here and there that i have but i definitely did want to continue with play next episode yes yeah. but uh, no i can't <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah i felt the same way like find, find myself sucked in again yeah that already, was me so. this evening watching these episodes on hbo max uh because i was too lazy to go get my dvds off the shelf and it was like it was like you know <laughs> next up and it was like no i can't I, I i have other things i need to do but it's it's you know it's I, I know that I think Moffat has said that this season was really kind of an experiment to see if they could do, you know, the multi-episode format in a with Modern Who. And I think that they got mixed mm-hmm. results in terms of, you know, what the audience thought, which is part of the reason why they they went back to the, the more standard Modern Who format for the following series. Um, but having said that, you know, that we got a we got a basically a three parter. Uh, in the following series, and of course the big finale of the following series too. Yeah. So some of it carried over uh, to an extent, but yeah, I've used to when I was buying the individual season box sets, I would sit down when they came in and rewatch an entire season over a few weeks, and then when the streaming age rolled around and everything was on well Netflix originally, and then on ended up on Amazon Prime and now on HBO Max, it was like yeah I don't I don't do that as much anymore. So this was the first time I had watched this since. 2016 2017 i had reviewed it for somebody i think it was utopia and i went back and rewatched the season but this is this was the first time i'd seen this because honestly if there's something from this season i'm gonna go rewatch again it's gonna be heaven sent but you know that's a that's a whole nother podcast potentially yeah yeah and there's a lot of good stuff in this season but yeah that's that's the standout and that may be the standout of the whole you know the Twelfth Doctor's run in a lot of ways, just because it's so, so different and so well done in you know yeah. almost every aspect. Yeah. So, and it's uh, interesting that a lot of time, a lot of the other seasons have had Doctor Light stories, and that was like <laughs> just the Doctor story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, come on, all you other actors, yeah, I, I feel like, you know, up a little, <laughs> work out. Yeah. <laughs> You could give us one of those every season, and I'd be happy. Well, right, it depends course. what it is, I guess. <laughs> yeah, but, it, it's yeah. one of those because that was what Tom Baker apparently wanted, and how he ended up with Deadly Assassin was he basically wanted the story to himself, just to just to prove he didn't need a companion. And uh, apparently, Robert Holmes and mm-hmm. Philip Hinchcliffe went, "Tom, that's not going to work." And of course, Moffat rolls around forty odd years later and <laughs> gives it to us. But you know, it's <laughs> it's one of those things that it's great as a one off. But the real question is. You wouldn't want that all the time, right, really, I right. don't think. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and it's the same thing with the Doctor Light and the, you know, Companion Light episodes, even. I don't, you wouldn't want that to go on for, if we had half a season of Doctor Who with no Doctor, it would not be <laughs> any fun at all. So. Yeah. I mean, again, but, you can uh, have Love and Monsters or you can have Blink, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, so. Yeah. Goes either way. Um. 
so I was I was talking a little bit about how to me it seems like, and I'll see if you guys agree, but to me it seems like that we have from the end of series eight with uh, Dark Water to the beginning of this story, uh, I feel like a substantial amount of time has needed to pass for these characters, and I don't know exactly what it is. I don't know if it, I don't know if you can set in stone exactly how much has passed, but just in the characterizations themselves and how they've shifted a little bit, I feel like some time has passed. Um, especially like we, we bring Missy back right away when right. really we just saw her in the season finale, you know, before. But even even in her, um, the way she is in this, I feel like there's been some some time passed in between. Uh, and one of the things that we get, we talked a little bit about the softening of the Doctor. We get kind of the opposite. Um, out of Clara and she has become what she's going to continue to evolve into throughout series nine. And that is kind of what I call Dr. Clara. And that is, um, she's a very, I'm not going to say she's, she's ceased to be the companion, but she's kind of taken a front seat approach to things. And, uh, just kind of relishes in the opportunity to jump in, jump in with unit there at the beginning. And, and uh, solve the mystery and bark some orders at people and basically be the doctor. She does this also at the, what is it, the it, beginning of Dark Water, I believe they kind of have her at the end of the last season play, quote-unquote, the doctor. I believe they even do something with the opening credits that uh, has her featured. Um, but we, we see this, and it, it ultimately plays into what is her downfall and then redemption of, of go, kind of pushing this too far. And... I think we're we're given some some hints and uh, obviously just there's, there's some of the dialogue that um, you know obviously the death of Danny Pink right. has affected her. The um, I don't know if the doctor has been absent. You get uh, he's certainly been hiding out for three weeks, but how long has he been out of Clara's life? I uh, you know if you know Danny Pink dies, all the stuff at the end of uh, season eight happens to her, and then the doctor disappears. I go. I think that's she's probably been having some tough times is I guess what I'm trying to say and uh then she's kind of thrown into this whole adventure and we're seeing her reunited with the doctor and then immediately kind of pulled yeah. apart and, and it's enough time uh, for yeah. her to be established at the school and for I guess her being called by unit is this isn't the first time it's happened <laughs> so yeah mm-hmm. I mean Moffat was kind of the master yeah. of character development stuff happening off screen to some extent uh, even th- even back in in the Matt Smith era, you think about all the stuff that was going on with the pawns in between seasons, for example. Um, and you mm-hmm. know, there's definitely hints that there's all kinds. Of, there's been some off-screen adventures. You know, the Jane Austen reference, which I remember still to this day. Remember Phantom going going gaga over that, for example. Um, I think Big mm-hmm. Finish may have picked up picked that up and ran with it, or somebody certainly has. Um, but certainly, I think it, it's sort of the problem with Clara, for lack of a better way of putting it, is Jenna Coleman couldn't decide when she was leaving. And so yeah. We, yeah. we have three different exits for the character in very quick succession, because she was supposed to have left in Death in Heaven, and then it was supposed to be Last Christmas, and then they had to rewrite the ending of Last Christmas to put her back in. Um which leads into this season. So, it, but it's it's clear there's been a lot of shenanigans and stuff going on. I mean, to be fair, you know, we went in the space of name of the doctor. She was basically a, I don't want to say governess, babysitter, something to suddenly teaching at Cole Hill. Mm-hmm. So, you know, 
we, we've had yep. greater leaps with this character. But yeah, as, as you were saying, it, it is kind of beginning of, as you said, Dr. Clara. I hadn't heard that before. That's a good one. Um, <laughs> but basically, she is she is far more risk-takey than she's ever been before. And I think we started getting hints of that in Flatline, I think, or maybe even as far back as Mummy on the Orient Express in Series 8, where she was beginning to kind of take that more central roll a bit and by the time of flatline you know she is at one point in that claiming to be the doctor because capaldi's doctor's trapped inside the tardis um so i think it's an extension of that too but just seeing how she kind of dominates in in much of the first episode but then of course by the time you get to the witch is familiar uh she is yeah we really begin she realizes i think as much as the audience does that she is slightly out of her depth (laughs) You know, when she's stuck alongside Missy. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is, you know, which I didn't catch on. I am dense. I will say this. I didn't catch on to this until watching <laughs> the episodes tonight that realized that Clara is, in fact, the title character of these two episodes. You know, The Magician's Apprentice, The Witch yeah. is Familiar. I, I don't know why it took eight that, years for me to realize this. <laughs> That's so funny because I, I, the same thing happened to me. I was like, oh, the title is yeah. it's her. Okay, okay I, get I feel, it. Like, I feel better. I think I only just realized it <laughs> yeah, now that you I mentioned it. I didn't think about it at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't. I didn't. I don't know if I just didn't. You know, I was kind of watching it as it was on and whatever. And I don't think I've reseen them since then. And I just didn't think about it. Like, and then when I'm going back, you know, because we refer to them as titles and and looking at like, I'm like, oh. Yeah, it's Clara. She is the magician's apprentice. In the second episode, she is the witch's familiar. You know, she's yep. Missy's psychic. And so, yeah, it's, yep, totally her. <laughs> and that didn't, yeah. So, no, yeah, don't feel bad. That's definitely happened right. to me, I too. I do feel better now. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> um, yeah, the, uh, it was a. I was a bit bummed. And this probably only because I've seen the Doctor's meditation. I was, I was a bit bummed that Boars ended up being a Dalek in disguise. Um, it does uh, do something interesting to the story, and because from that reveal, it kicks off this like back and forth of twists and turns of between the Daleks and Davros and the Doctor uh, of who's playing who and who found out about this first, and like whose plan is actually the the plan right. that is you know <laughs> higher up on the totem pole than the uh, you know uh, mm. the others. So, uh, which gives us kind of the action of the rest of the, the, the two part episode. And for an episode that actually is kind of action light, there's a lot of really great stuff. The scenes with the doctor and, and Davros kind of going back and forth. I, I absolutely love, but this is kind of, it kicks off with, with this reveal of Boars being a Dalek. It's like, Oh, okay. So the Daleks are already in at this point, kind of manipulating the doctor. And then he thinks he's manipulating, you know, or he thinks he's got it all figured out and he's doing this on his terms, but no, because they've been they've been Boars was a Dalek the whole time and's been planting things in his head or whatever. So one does kind of. Um, um, I yeah, mean, it's, although I guess that that does kind of make one wonder exactly when did they Dalekify Boars and then why is Colony Sarf wandering all over the universe looking for the Doctor when they know where yeah, he is? Yeah, I had that. Yeah, I had that same thought yeah. watching it tonight because I, you know, in 2015 that was a really yeah. cool reveal, and there's some really cool moments in this even now. But I was watching it going, if the if the Daleks have had boars this whole time, why in the world has Daphros been sending Sarf all over creation to try and figure out where the Doctor is? It doesn't make it's one of those things. Like I think 
Moffat loves his puzzle boxes. I think we've said that before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, they're great to kind of unpack. The problem is is that if you have one element that doesn't make a lick of sense, the whole house of cards starts coming apart. I mean, I think he does... Maybe there's... And sometimes it, it doesn't. In this case, maybe there's a couple of potential outs, which is either of colonies of Davros sort of establishing things by having, because Doctor does overhear Colony Sarf on Karn. So he's just sort of setting, setting just a further detail in his trap. Or Colony Sarf mm. uh, Dalekified uh, Boars when he was uh, choking him. So, eh, That's a possibility. maybe, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Possibly. When he, well, no, when uh, Moffat novelizes it, then we'll know, I guess, <laughs> for yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say Stephen Moffat. You'd say what you will about his writing and the way it comes off on screen, but he himself knows the answer for sure. Whether he shares it with everybody uh, is another yeah. story. But um, I also think it might have had something to do with this. Is just another wild guess, but that the Daleks and Davros, although certainly in some sort of a um, a, a truce-like stasis at the point uh, certainly aren't, you know, they're, they're, he's not commanding them in any way. They are certainly still acting on their own, uh, although, you know, he, they are protecting him and living with him at the point. Um, so maybe the Daleks are actually acting outside of Davros's knowledge. Yeah, well. I mean, that is hinted at in the cliffhanger and whatnot, too, when the Doctor's trying to convince Davros to intercede and Davros like you know how children are <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, yeah so maybe they're doing their own reconnaissance and they're you know kind of poking the doctor to try it's it's a little bit it's a little bit nuanced for a Dalek plan yeah, it is a, it is that, a very David a, like... Whitaker style <laughs> writing for the Daleks yeah. I mean if you think about power of the Daleks and evil of the Daleks right. which are mm-hmm. yeah clearly Moffat is a fan of those because he you know he, he slips in references and kind of does riffs on them as he's gone along, even it going, you know, even in the Asylum and of course Victory of the Daleks, which was the first. Right. I know oh, that's yeah, a, that was... that's a Mar- <laughs> yeah, that's a Mark Gatiss script, but it's the first Dalek story of of the Moffat era, and it's very much a, a David Whitaker style script. Mm. But going back to what you mm. were saying, Eric, I realized watching it again that there's actually exceedingly little that actually happens in this story. If you actually take the plot of the two episodes and especially which is familiar and you put them down on paper, not much actually happens. Right. (laughs) No, not a lot at all. And it's, it's actually curious that it's so good, or in my opinion, it's such a good Mm. couple of episodes. It's because it's really a series of character scenes between um, our main characters. So you have Missy and and Clara, kind of, you know, back and forth off of each other, and they're kind of, you know, their journey to get to where they end up. And then you have the Doctor kind of face to face with one of his oldest enemies. Um, but Davros seems, you know, very different. And it, it, right away you get into this. Okay, we we don't trust him. Does the Doctor trust him? Because that doesn't seem to make sense. And then you know you start to, but it just. It's these really, really great character scenes, and it's something you could not have done in a 50-minute yeah. episode. And that's what I think is, yeah, this one, maybe out of all of them, uh, and the argument could be made for some that follow in this series, but maybe out of all of them, this is the one that uses that long runtime the best because it does let those scenes kind of breathe and have some, uh, some of the strongest uh, acting, I think, on the show comes out of these uh, longer right. yeah. stories. Yeah. Because of because of the fact they get they yeah. get to have these longer scenes. Yeah. So. 
I mean, it's not to say that it's... By saying there's not much that actually happens does not mean to say it's dull or it's not well-paced, because on the contrary, it is exceedingly yeah. <laughs> well-paced. I mean, it was, I was sitting there watching it again and going, wow, that uh, not much has happened, but my God, the amount of screen time it's taken up. In a good way. Yeah. Yeah, this is edgier seat entertainment that has, like, almost no action in it. It's weird. It's, it's, it's I would say, actually, thing. there's a lot that's going on, but Plot-wise, maybe things are... Because, like, the whole... You know, one would think that Missy's plot of uh, having all the planes suspended in midair would be a full story in itself, but uh, nope, it's just sort of a sideshow to everything else going on. <laughs> that takes yeah. up, like, yeah. the first third, I guess, of the f- of the first episode, so... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which, again, I mean, that's... Moffat does that mm-hmm. a lot in sort of... You think about the Zygon subplot, for example, in Day of the Doctor, you know... You would think that could be a whole story in its own right. In fact, it, it does become a whole story in its own right later on this series. Mm-hmm. But it's it's that same thing that Moffat typically starts his stories off with one thing and ends up spinning it off into something completely different by the time it's over with. But yeah, it's the whole plane subplots, as you said, is an interesting one because it it's there it's there just to introduce Missy, and then as soon as Missy is introduced, it's over. Right. Well, I like that she like literally goes, "Oh well," and just kind of clear clears her screen or whatever, closes her app, <laughs> and right. the, they all fly on. It's just yeah. like okay, I like the bit know. before that uh, where they're because they're sitting in the cafe in Spain. It's like, "Oh, we need some shade," so she mm-hmm. she right. moves the one plane for a couple right. of seconds, so it's so over them to give them shade. Right. But Andrew, it's also you gotta like that little thing when she first appears. That yes, yes, I'm still alive. Blah blah. Big surprise, huh? Yeah, that that was actually the next thing that I wanted to talk about was like, I remember that being a gripe for some people are like, well, we we don't get a story for that. It's like, no, come on. It's the master. You know, it's Missy. She's she's coming back. Like, (laughs) I love that. They just like, yes, not dead back. Never mind. You know, it's like that's her that's her entire explanation. And and I'm fine with that. I mean, that's 80s. You know, yeah. 80s Doctor Who (laughs) Anthony Ainley anybody. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, she's she is just like line for line, and Michelle goes Gomez is pitch perfect, and I love this incarnation of the character, but like she's got lots of great stuff, like even in just in that first scene, just she's she's great, you know. I I did not turn good. Uh, the, right. You're the puppy line when she tells Clara, like, do you see the couple walking over there? You know, that's the doctor, that's me. <laughs> you're the puppy, like so. Yeah, um, I don't know. She's she's got so much good stuff in this this episode. Um, and she just she just knocks it out of the park every time. She's good. Um, so the intro of the Doctor, uh, when we finally get to see him in, in Essex in uh, the is it the fourteenth uh, century, um, he makes a grand entrance, perhaps the most bombastic entrance we've seen uh, the the Doctor <laughs> ever make, um, by rolling in on a tank playing an electric guitar which both of these items obviously very out of timing with you know the setting that they're in hey, an x is um, an x <laughs> yes yeah yeah that was a, that was another one that people at the time griped about a lot and i think it's it's one of those scenes mm-hmm. that's really a dividing line for between fans of this era that you can kind of tell it's one of those marmite moments people either love it or they hate it <laughs> And I I, yeah. I loved it at the time, and I still cackle, laugh every time I see it, even now. 
Yep, I agree. I even wrote that it was like this is this is a moment that is right. so over the top and it's so of this era, but I absolutely love it. It's great. <laughs> just like I don't think you could do this on the show right now. Like it wouldn't fit. Like you all of a sudden pulled this off, it, but for some reason it works in context with. I, mean, I think doctor. it's because Capaldi's got a bit of that rock st- aging rock star quality to him yeah. mm-hmm. and the fact that he did all of his own guitar playing well, he was as a, well yeah, it was a rock yeah. i wonder how if, yeah. if any other doctor if any other actors have managed to get their own hobbies so much into the show because this certainly isn't the last time that he plays his guitar on screen yeah. <laughs> no yeah. well it, it and i think this is we, we certainly don't get a lot of it in in the prior series i think they they definitely are uh leaning into what you just just pointed out matthew is that uh he is kind of the rock star doctor and they they really lean into this thing they they kind of change his outfit into something like an older cool you know he's got the hoodie and kind of the t-shirt thing going on and, but still elements uh, of patrick trout and the guitar <laughs> yeah he's got he's got patrick Troughton's trousers so <laughs> Troughton's trousers i'm gonna have to copyright that <laughs> A whole line of pants you can sell at conventions. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, they, they're going to bring in the Sonic sunglasses here in this series. And that's, right. you know, just the sunglasses and the new getup. It's like, yeah, they're really that's... leaning into this. And for me, it actually works. I like it. I like it more than the prior. Um, I'm not going to say incarnation because it's the same doctor, but I like this progression that he has. And uh, this is certainly a scene, I think, like we were talking about how the doctor's meditation kind of is is just a, a seven minute piece that kind of like reintroduces us to the doctor and shows us how he's changed since we last saw him. And right. uh, this is the two minute version of that. <laughs> and it's just going <laughs> to yeah. sl- slam it all into this big over the top entrance. And I love it. I love the fact that he's taught, uh, taught <laughs> all of the people uh, in the, right. the, the era that he's into well, the, the word dude, dude. And he's telling them bad jokes and like like you're gonna you're yeah. gonna really appreciate that in a hundred years or so or you know, like yeah know. a few hundred years yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> i i did love and i don't know how i didn't this is another thing i didn't notice at the time that when he realizes clara and missy is there he starts playing pretty woman on the right. guitar <laughs> yeah. I, I i don't know how i completely missed that detail in 2015 yeah i hadn't remembered uh. it i don't know if i caught it or not but yeah it's it just I don't know, and and I feel like I was maybe still a little hesitant. Um, watching things the first time, you always have that kind of, well, it's, it's new to you, so you're kind of all just ingesting it, not sure what you think about it. And I'm not sure I ever came back and rewatched these, so, like, it's... This time was a much more joyous watching. Like, everything mm-hmm. just seemed to, like, I don't know, put a smile on my face about these episodes yeah. i mean they're, they're just a lot of fun whether or not it's you know we we can critique whether the story holds together perfectly or every little aspect of things but um they certainly it's certainly a lot of really watchable fun stuff going on here and i think that out of all things is something that i'm finding missing from the show not entirely but it's, I mean, it's something that i miss from this era and and there's uh, a certain there's a little voice at the back of my head that was saying that some archaeologists are going to be confused when they're when they dig up that tank yeah. <laughs> in a burial mound or something. Yeah. And I think it, the it, sonic sunglasses were also another sort of dividing line oh like yeah. that you mentioned earlier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think there were some people who kind of felt that Moffat was kind of losing the plot or something around this time, and it was... Which I didn't really get, but, you know, to, to be fair, I tend to like most of the Earths of the show as they're, that I've seen as they're running, mm-hmm. um, late <laughs> RTD being the exception, but it's... I've talked about that before, I think. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, and everybody has their like. You know, there's no right and wrong oh, sure. answer. Obviously, it just uh, for, for right. me, this was like, right. like I mentioned, you know, the the term comfort food earlier. Just kind of coming back to something that I really enjoyed about this era of the show, and and all the eras are different. So, um, yeah. So yeah, I think coming into uh, the the second part of the episode, which is familiar, which really gets us into the kind of guts of the showdown, or not maybe not even showdown, but the. Um, interaction between the doctor and, and Davros on Scarrow. Um, I think we see a lot of interesting things continue to happen with the doctor's character development. Um, we do get this such a whimsical introduction to him in this story that um, towards the end in that cliffhanger where he, you know, believes, or at least we believe he believes that Missy and, and Clara have been exterminated. And, uh, right. you know, he's kind of at, at the end of, uh, and you know runs out with the or points the the weapon and um as he starts to kind of unpack all of this stuff i think we see that okay the doctor's lightened up a bit but he's he's not over this doubt that he has about himself yet he still is really in his head about whether he's you know a good moral agent or what you know uh, is he this good man thing? It's not over because he is so convinced after his run in with child Davros of his own guilt in this that he lets Davros kind of manipulate him. Maybe. And we see the end of it as it all works out. Maybe he didn't, but um, he lets Doc- Davros kind of manipulate him using that, that guilt. He's so convinced that he actually let the kid, you know, left him there, uh, thus creating Davros, right? So, um, yeah. And he it actually turns out like he just you know he just didn't have the patience to like let himself let it play out <laughs> and see see where it ends up and so he's still very much in a place where he's he's not sure um and that i think that's a good place to have the doctor because i don't think you ever want a doctor that's totally 100% you know into their own convictions cuz that gets to be a totally different kind of character but um, yeah. Can yeah, we just yeah. talk about how jaw dropping that cliffhanger was? Yes. Right. Yeah. At that time, because I, I that was that was probably was one of my first moments as a fan. Because as we've talked about, I didn't come into the show till 2007, and you know, with classic, I, I came into classic who and never really got as much as I love cliffhangers and the oh god, I have to see what's next. I never could really kind of understand what it must have been like <laughs> to have to sit there for a week to find out how things were going to resolve and then that episode happened in that cliffhanger mm-hmm. and i think i did an all caps facebook post <laughs> kind of going i have to wait a week to find out what happens next yeah all the older fans are like welcome to <laughs> welcome to our world yeah pretty much and, and i have to say even even watching it now and knowing how it's going to resolve that cliffhanger still got me yeah, and it was it was kind of like that that Moffat and Capaldi had kind of the audacity to do that cliffhanger, <laughs> right? Uh, still boggles my mind. Yeah, no, it's a good one. It there and there's a lot of good ones, but uh, just the nature of this two part thing, and I feel like, and I know this is a personal opinion, and and obviously, but I feel like they really could have could have done this for a few more you know series and really gotten a lot out of it. It just it works so well for the show. Maybe that's right. because by this time when I was watching this, I had already become very familiar with the classic series. Um, it's probably around the time where I had finally finished up or was finishing up my watch through. So I had seen most of, if not all of the classic series at this point. So like, I felt like the cliffhangers just felt 
nostalgic in a good way. Like it was kind of bringing back something that was missing a little bit from the the modern series, but. And, uh, yeah, so the beginning of, of The Witch is Familiar, we get um, the Missy and Clara, who have, Missy has transported them outside of the city um, on Scaro, and basically her first their first scene together is her explaining how she um, basically borrowed the doctor's escape plan like general escape plan like it basically what would the doctor do sort of way which is a interesting scene that kind of uh shows her her basically giving us the understanding that missy really does i mean she always claims the doctor you know the master and missy have always claimed that the doctor and um they are best friends but i think in this scene you finally go oh okay she does really understand she understands his every little like she knows this person through and through and she's probably the only person we're going to run into in the, the course of this series that really gets the doctor this much and it's like it finally clicked like you, you hear that out of out of the master's mouth many times throughout the series even way back into the classic era but finally in this scene i feel like yep okay i get it they he, she knows the doctor well enough that she can not only predict his moves, but use his moves to a certain extent to get herself out of that situation. But, um, yeah. And I, I gotta, gotta love that little, little thing at the beginning of, you know, doesn't matter which doctor it was. So you see the fourth yeah. doctor and the first doctor. And <laughs> yes. So, I, and this, uh, this two-parter was just full of chock full of those sort of little, little callbacks to the past. Yeah. I love the little fan service stuff like that, honestly, and I know people get gripey about that. And fan service can go too far. I, I agree, but mm-hmm. those things I think are just fun. Like <laughs> getting a getting a little glimpse of, you know, past doctors in a in a random episode. It doesn't have to be some big anniversary special to kind of have those little seeds planted in there. So yeah, I know I love stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's all it was all uh, very well well done. I mean. Mm-hmm. Come, because you, know, you can do fan service, you can do bad fan service oh, yeah. also. So <laughs> it's like this recent, if I, just a brief digression to most recent who, where you had a whole episode sort of dedicated to the memory of Unit, but I did not like that at all because it just messed everything up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they... I mean, in, in defense uh. of that, Unit's timeline's already messed up, so let's... <laughs> Yes. What, what's a little what's a little more supported into that pot? I I almost feel like that was, and I'm probably wrong, but kind of an intentional kind of inside joke, like, hey, let's goof up the unit timeline a little more. <laughs> but you know, anyway, you know, but moving on. Um, <laughs> Don't tell him with Chip. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, I also liked uh, yeah just to go back like the opening scene of uh, like with the biplanes with energy guns and they're shooting bows and arrows back at them it's just and back to the discussion in genesis of the daleks and uh, you've got clips from old episodes where the doctor was facing davros and mm-hmm. and the magician's yeah. apprentice so yeah it's it's, it's lovely it's just yeah. lovely <laughs> yeah i i have to admit being slightly miffed watching this in 2015 because I had pitched to a fan fiction online magazine a story that had the same basic idea. 
Um, the, it was the doctor, I think I had the seventh doctor meeting a pre-accident Davros, and it turned out the doctor was inadvertently responsible for crippling Davros and putting him in the chair. Mm. And I, I remember watching this and going, okay, I know there's no way Stephen Moffat could have read my idea. <laughs> and it's, and, and, you know, and there's enough differences that I can't claim plagiarism anyways, even if I had somehow gotten it into Moffat's hands. Right. But at the same time, it's like... Well, that's a story I can't write now. Yeah, it's a bummer <laughs> when that happens, but <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, it's a cool idea. It's, and I, I'm, I'm sure you and Stephen Moffat aren't the only people that have ever, you know, thought about pitting those two, or putting those two in that type of a situation. But, um, well, you're... we're all drawing from the same well in some respects. Yeah, and, right. You know, and same background. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, yeah, and I also appreciate we were talking about Big Finish earlier. I appreciate that Mo- what Moffat did in those scenes and whatnot ties in kind of neatly with I Davros, which was mm-hmm. Big Finish's own series with Terry Malloy. Yeah, um, and it kind of in the way that we see the kind of the flashback to the war at the beginning of it is is very much in keeping with the way that war is portrayed in those audios. And we know Moffat was at least before he got came to Cardiff, you know, was a fan of the audios and whatnot. So I'm sure that some of that was deliberate on his part right yeah well it, as far as i know he's the only person that's taken any of that stuff uh for big finish continuity and given any nods to it at all it's only been acknowledged during his time right. so obviously the, the night yeah. of the doctor you know put yeah. a bunch of bunch of them <laughs> that's in the there, big so, one but, <laughs> yeah uh, the big one <laughs> but yeah i was incredibly i, I don't know, grateful sounds you know, overdoing it but grateful to him for for doing that for bringing some you know, just just those little tips of the hat that kind of said, okay, this stuff this stuff is credible is credible. You know, good stuff. Too, Isn't so. it during his time? Maybe I'm, I, Matthew would probably know that Big Finish also started got permission to use more contemporary characters like the Unit and um, all that to do audios. Yeah, because or... I think that started changing around twenty. Because I know the first Tenant set was twenty sixteen, and they had recorded it in 2014, 2015. And I think we had gotten things like Jago and Lightfoot and Strax and the the first Churchill box set mm-hmm. uh, prior to that point. So yeah, mm-hmm. it was. I, I meant was, during the Moffat era, is what oh, I meant. Oh yeah, 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 I get what you mean. Yeah, okay. but yeah, this, that, this would have been about the time that all started happening. So yeah, so. much to the chagrin of a, a certain section of the Big Finish fan base who would have preferred that Classic <laughs> Who and Modern Who had never mingled. <laughs> But you know, well, they're a... they're lost, frankly. Yeah, and that that's honestly quite a small cross section of, right. of the fandom. But um, anyway, the uh, I want to talk about Daleks and Scarrow and how cool the um, Scarrow exteriors of the Dalek city in this are, mm-hmm. and it's like the perfect amount of throwback to you know the Dalek serial where we originally saw the city, um, but with nice little modern touches. Um, I didn't like really that Stephen Moffat essentially uses the "it's back, never mind" thing again that he used with Missy, which I liked. Which I liked with that, but when explaining like, "Oh, how's Scarrow still here?" Like, <laughs> that's essentially what we got as an answer. But that's okay. I could forget about it pretty easily. Um, I thought special effects wise, it really looks great. I love the interiors as well. The it's such mm-hmm. a nice um, like throwback. The sets are 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 great, but with the, the little modern touches that kind of. I don't know, makes it nice. And I love that we get kind of the greatest hits of the Daleks out of all the oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Daleks <laughs> in the story. So, well, yeah. yeah. 
Special weapons Dalek forte win, yep. as they say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I th there's something to be said about Peter Hawkins' original designs for that first Dalek serial. Mm. That they that they could do that, you know, 50 years later. Mm -hmm. And with, with just some gentle touches to kind of update it a bit, particularly the exteriors of the city. There's a wonderful retro but yet very modern feel to it. Yeah, right. And it's just, it's, and I think part of it too is the way that they dirtied up some of the corridors and whatnot as well. So you kind of get the feeling that this is a place that's been, that's been there for a while and it's been aged and whatnot, which is, I think, a, which is always a nice touch because I think one of the problems with Classic Who when it did sets, and Warriors of the Deep is the big one for this. Mm -hmm. Everything's oh. too white, everything's too clean, everything's too gleaming. Yeah. And they didn't, yeah, and that's not yeah. really the issue here. Picking up on something you were saying, Eric, I mean, to be fair, Moffat had done the whole Scarrow, yep, it exists, it's here gag before in Asylum of the Daleks. Mm -hmm. Because the 11th Doctor shows up at the beginning of that on Scarrow, and it's like, how is it here? Well, never mind. Um, so it's, I think it's a bit of a running gag in the Moffat here. <laughs> yeah. I'll explain later. Yep. <laughs> yes. Which also, you know, speaking of <laughs> you having said that, it suddenly occurred to me the whole business with the sewers and whatnot is very Curse of Fatal Death. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, he also throws out that... Um, and I can't take credit for remembering this, but he also uses the line about take care of the universe. I've put a lot of work into it. Yes. <laughs> uh. Yeah, it's... Um, so speaking of, that gives us a nice segue to... Uh, I wanted to know what you guys thought of the slime slash poop Daleks that uh, they... <laughs> that uh, come back and, um, you know, take a, retake their planet at the end of this... Uh, Essentially, what's happening is that um, Daleks never really die. Their hatred, they, they decompose, but their hatred lives on in this, like, sludge. Um, think Bad Slime in Ghostbusters 2, maybe. Um, and uh, but what, what are your thoughts on that? I, I think that was one of the elements of this that I was a little bit like, eh, on when I first saw it. It didn't bother me as much this time, but conceptually, I still am a little bit like, eh, okay. But... Um, yeah, it's a way to wrap up. I mean, I can I can follow it the way it is that they get the regeneration energy and Daleks hate everything else. So I guess these old Daleks would hate all the current Daleks. Mm -hmm. And yeah, but somehow it doesn't quite work out that, okay, now how is this ooze coming out of the Daleks? I mean, I could understand if like ooze came up from the sewers and covered the Daleks or something, but why is why are, why are the Daleks... Why are these new Daleks leaking the ooze? I, I don't understand what's how exactly this is working. Yeah, yeah that was <laughs> that was kind of my thought watching it this time because they do the whole business of setting up that Misty's brooch has to penetrate that one Dalek for that to get in, and then it has absolutely no problem at the end getting into anybody else's <laughs> casing, and it's like, how does this work exactly? Um, but yeah, as, as you were saying, I saw it conceptually, it's, it's a, it's an idea and I can follow it. Right. Um, and it reminded me a bit of, um, oh, I can't think of what it's called. There's a Victor Pemberton BBC radio serial that basically became the basis for Fury from the Deep, which it, it, it likewise deals with this kind of intelligent sludge from beneath the earth. So it's kind of, it's an old mm. idea, give it a new spin, but it's. You know, emotionally, I can understand why it's there. It's a bit like an RTD ending. It, there's a certain emotional logic to it, but if you try to actually apply intellectual rigor to it, it doesn't make a lick of sense. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, but it, 
And it's also, I think it's it's there because that's not actually what the ending is about. The ending is about <laughs> that whole confrontation, that three-way confrontation between Missy, the Doctor, and Clara Dalek is what what everything's really about. Right. So it's a means to an end, but it doesn't necessarily mean it has to make any sense. And I would say it's one of those things where it's, I mean, it's, the writing makes sense, but the visualization, the way they've chosen to do it, doesn't make yeah. sense. So I don't know where that disconnect uh, falls in. Yeah, so. I mean, let, well, let's be honest, Moffat did have trouble sticking endings. I mean, I'm looking at you, Wedding of River Song and Hell Band. Yeah. Um, endings are hard. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that they are. I have no, I, I have really no room to talk now as a professional author Yeah. Um, about cri- really criticizing anybody else's writing because, you know, endings are a pain in the neck, but... <laughs> Doesn't mean I, I shouldn't criticize, but I will anyways. Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> and so they. Well, and we don't really know how it all ends up anyway, because the doctor leaves, and you know we don't really see like Scaro exploding or the city, even the entire city collapsing or anything like that. For all we know, this was just a temporary inconvenience, yeah. long enough for the doctor to get away. <laughs> yeah. Or who knows? Yeah, maybe... it is a. I was gonna say maybe the old Daleks end up creeping their way, but into the new Daleks armor and you just have Daleks again so just Daleks becoming Daleks all over again but yeah it's a very evil of the Dalek style ending going back to talking about the David Whitaker mm-hmm. influence mm-hmm. that you know chaos chaos on Scaro let's just get the TARDIS and leave mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah well I suppose it's I suppose it'll be too nerdy for me to complain about that the D in Hads is displacement not dispersal <laughs> come on Stephen <laughs> Maybe it's a whole different system yeah. with the same acronym. Multiple. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's another one of those uh, where they've done, like I guess, a visual fake-out where you see the TARDIS exploding in part one. And yeah, no, 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 it just dispersed itself. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it works. Fine, yeah. That's cool. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. I'm enjoying myself too much to complain. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's that is a lot of what gets this episode through some of those, you know, little things I could gripe about. I think I just at the end of the day, it's not, it's not that I don't care necessarily, but it's it works well enough for me to like move on to the next the other thing that I'm enjoying. Like Matthew said, you're really not paying right. a whole lot of attention to the Daleks or the fall of the city on Scaro and the Daleks coming back because you're so interested in what's going on with the Doctor and Missy and and Clara that. You know, it just it's there. It's happening in the background. Yeah. It's a bit like what Nicholas Meyer said about the end of Star Trek four, when there's the whole conversation between the whales and the probe thing and the fact that nobody ever figures out what they're saying. And as as Nicholas Meyer says, is as it works in the moment. And as long as the audience isn't questioning it till they're in the car on their way home from the theater, that's what matters. (laughs) Yeah. Well, speaking of the the Clara Dalek, I think that's another interesting or fun uh, throwback to mm-hmm. the original Dalek serial. Obviously, uh, Ian Chesterton yeah. is uh, put inside of a Dalek in uh, in in that as they try to escape from the you know the city on Scarrow. Very very similar city, I guess. We all know it's not the same one, but um, the uh, <laughs> but I think it's 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 an interesting. Um, thing to have happened to her she's gotten into the part of your her journey as doctor who companion where everything 
it's kind of like at first it's all you know joy and wonder and seeing the universe and now it's you know pretty much all the bad stuff is happening to me and (laughs) like um so yeah she gets inside of this dialect that missy kind of intentionally you know locks her into um right and yeah i don't know I, i think it's it's a cool cool scene i think it's funny at first and then it gets serious as you find out like oh you know it's uh, right. um she's right. trapped in there and the doctor's gonna take her out and then he, he gradually figures out what's going on and it's a great scene i never i never actually believed he was gonna you know kill clara but <laughs> that was another like interesting thing about like how when trying to say anything positive that just comes out as exterminate <laughs> yeah. and yeah. that exterminate is how they reload so it's one of those nobody ever asked why the daleks go around yelling exterminate mm-hmm. all the time but if you want an explanation there it is here's yeah. one <laughs> yeah. the, the other thing i noticed watching it this time was um jenna coleman would use contractions in her dialogue and when nick you hear nick briggs doing the dalek voices everything's nothing's contracted in proper dalek right. style right. so clearly well it's also interesting that the first time we saw jenna coleman she was also in a Dalek. Yeah, that's right. Yes. <laughs> yep. In an asylum of the Daleks, so... Yeah, you, th- you think Moffat's having some fun there. <laughs> yeah. Um, and setting up the hybrid storyline, too, which... Yeah, which will be the season arc just... for this, this series. Speaking of not being able to stick an ending? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it just... I remember all the fan theories and it, you got to the ending of that one and you were kind of like, oh, okay. I read all this stuff about it and, and then it ended up being something kind of not as interesting as most of these fan theories, so I'm going <laughs> to... I don't think it ever got explained or if it got explained, it, it was not to a point where I could it understand. It did not get like, okay, here's here's how you're supposed to take this. I think you can make a lot of interpretations out of it and you could go with whatever it means to you by the end of it. Cause yeah, I agree. I don't think there's a, yeah. I don't think there's a adopted, like this is what happened version of the hybrid myth. And in yeah. fact, I think they kind of, I think that's what he was trying to do is stick that it, you know, kind of the power of mythology and myths and things like that is it, it could steer people to act in ways that I don't know, but I think he was trying well, to say something that, about I- that. Yeah, well, I think this was also about the period where Moffat and Gatiss had kind of gone through the whole thing with Sherlock between series two and three of that, mm. with how did Sherlock survive at the end of series two of that, and they ended up doing a very similar thing at the beginning right. of the third season of that, where it was kind of like, you know, yeah. there is no definitive explanation because the speculation's more fun. I think Sherlock, <laughs> I think I think Moffat and Gatiss did it a lot better over on Sherlock than Moffat certainly did on Who, mm-hmm. but that's my opinion anyway. Yeah. I'd have to rewatch this uh, season to see where that ended up. So. Yeah, I, I kind of, I'm probably not going to find the time, but I would kind of like to just continue and, and check it all out again. Because I do remember being underwhelmed with that, that arc because they talk so much about it and then it ends up just kind of being a nothing. Um, yeah. And I was kind of happy that when the Daleks got infused with Time Lord stuff, they didn't all decide to give themselves high collars as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah so there's some great stuff with missy making references to the doctor um that leads us to believe and these are just one-off lines and we don't have to spend a long time on this but uh that we are certain that she is certainly aware of generation regenerations of the doctor that we are not so if you want some like pre-chibnall evidence of the uh you know 
timeless child mm-hmm. thing you could retcon that using some of the lines she has in here so um yeah. she definitely refers to some incarnations of the doctor we're not aware of so uh, yeah just but one of those was a lie yeah so one of them was, <laughs> yeah you're which right. one yes. that's the question um and what was in, I, I'll say I found it um, one thing that I guess this sort of because one thing I found a little odd about the RTD and Moffat eras and I know some of this happened towards the end of the third doctor as well which is that you know the master is like a mass murdering psychopathic sociopathic whatever you want to call him but the doctor is always like very sort of seems to be more chummy and understanding of him than he is of a lot of other foes that he has run across who have done much less evil things and he's much less forgiving towards them yeah but uh, i guess just this where the missy is talking about how it's also very complicated i guess i guess that's an explanation yeah Yeah. i mean there's also there's the there's the friendship that between them that goes way back before we ever met delgado in the pertwee era too and I could say this because my mom watches way too much true crime stuff. <laughs> um, but you'll see when people get interviewed on a lot of the true crime stuff, it's like, you know, I know that, you know, my dad, my brother, my uncle, whoever was a was a murderer and did all this and the other. But, you know, I st- I'm still trying to reconcile that person with the person I knew who took me to baseball games mm-hmm. and threw birthday parties and that kind of thing. So I, <laughs> I kind of view their whole, the whole doctor-master relationship through that kind of prism in some respects and of course in some ways too setting up what's what's going to happen in the following series as well with the big redemption arc yeah right i mean yeah and then it becomes like then when you have the john sim master right at the end of the 12th doctor's era is a much more classically evil and missy is redeemed by then so it's interesting in this in this particular story it's just that like the master's cruelty comes out so much when she just blasts that squatty and talks about eh he had a baby <laughs> and i don't care <laughs> yeah telling telling the one guy to get down on his knees and take a goodbye selfie for his family or right. something so that was actually one moment that because it was just so such a cruel moment that that was actually one of the moments of this story that remained with me from the time that i saw it back in what 2015 mm-hmm. <laughs> So I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like like we started off with at the beginning, I think uh, Peter Capaldi's just fantastic given uh, some room to you, to work and given these nice long uh, speeches, which he gets many of after, you know, after Series 8. And uh, some great bits of dialogue in here. There's a bit, and maybe I'll just throw in the, the audio clip if I can find it rather than my reading of it. But I'm going to read it to you guys because I don't have it handy. Um, but there's a bit I really like where uh, Davros is finally trying to convince him that his compassion was wrong. Um, that uh, you know, uh, and uh, the Doctor responds to him by saying, "There's no such thing as the Doctor. I'm just a bloke in a box telling stories. I didn't come here because I'm ashamed. A bit of shame never hurt anyone. I came because you're you're sick and you asked, and because sometimes on a good day, if I try very hard, I'm not some old Time Lord who ran away. I'm the Doctor." Davros looks at or makes makes contact with him says compassion then and the doctor says always so one of my great, my favorite pieces of dialogue from that so I just uh, figured I'd share that with you guys but um, oh that was that was really great dialogue and again yes. it's like it's such a contrast with the season eight uh, continual self mm-hmm. self-doubt and questioning yep. yeah so yeah 
So and, well, Davros throws that back at the Doctor at one point. You know, the Doctor spent all of Series Eight asking Clara, "Am I a good man?" And then yeah, right. suddenly Davros asks asks the Doctor that question too. And I think it makes the Doctor look at himself in a whole new light yeah. as a result of that. Yeah. And this this discussion between the Doctor and Davros made much more sense to me than it did than the than their discussion in Journey's End, where Davros is trying to make the f- Doctor feel guilty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And all that I was thinking was that. Really? You're going to let Davros make you feel guilty? <laughs> yeah, out of all yeah. people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this one worked. I was a bit weary about it uh, upon first watch, but once it all played out, I was very happy with the way it worked. Because the whole time you're kind of being like, why is the Doctor buying buying this story? And it's like, okay, well, maybe he wasn't. But, but the point is not whether he's buying it or not. The point is, you know, exactly what he said in that, that bit I just read. He came because he's sick, he's dying, right. and he asked him to. And that's that's really you know who the doctor is versus yeah i still think joe lidster did it better in terra firma which is one of the eighth doctor big finish audios because i think it touches a lot of the same themes as Mm -hmm. this and i think and partly i think that because big finish is big finish and it is aimed squarely at the fans rather than not just the fans but anybody else who's you know tuning in on a saturday night you know went into a lot of this area there too and also it could be because it's audio and it's aimed at fans, a lot darker mm-hmm. as well. But, you know, for what could be done for on, on a TV budget and for a televised audience that also includes, you know, five and six and eight-year-olds, you know, it, it does some very good stuff, I have to say. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I think it's a pretty good one. It's, uh, um... I have a couple more things, but we're running, we're running a little bit long tonight, and I just uh, start to wrap it up. But I wanted to ask if you guys had anything um, else, final thoughts, or anything that you wanted to bring up that we didn't touch on, because uh, there, there probably are a few things. Honestly, there's a lot of good stuff in here. Um, I think that a couple of those unit people continued through into the Zygon story and then got murdered. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Um, I'm sure there's, because there's a lot of really good stuff in this and um, a lot of, call. I, I really enjoyed watching. I'm sure there's stuff that I'm thinking of that I've completely, <laughs> that I, like I said, I lost my notes. Yeah. I should have made more notes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, I really didn't have much, didn't have much negative to think about this at all. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think it's got some plotting issues in some places, which we've touched upon, and there's some stuff that if you kind of sit there and you try and analyze it, doesn't make much sense. Um, but on the whole, I think it, it holds up. In some ways, it holds up better than I expected it to, and it, but in also in other ways, it doesn't hold up quite as well as I thought it would, which I know is contradictory, but there we are. <laughs> yes. Uh, but it's it's, you know, it's definitely a solid piece of work and I think it it's one of the better Capaldi era. I think as I said earlier, it's it's one of the things where I think the Capaldi era finally hit its stride. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I I have very few gripes about this thing. I if I had to gripe it was kind of like the resolution of the Daleks, you know, the the slime Daleks coming, you know, crawling back in from the sewers kind of thing it was kind of like, "Oh, okay," but it didn't really bug me cuz I could forget about it pretty easily. It wasn't super central okay. to the story. Um that's why, like, I was you know, talking, or I was writing some notes, and I was like, oh, it was a, you know, this is like the, we've done a bunch, it seems like we've done a high amount of Dalek stories, and then, then I was like, is this really a Dalek story? I'm like, I guess it is, 
but it kind of isn't too at the same time in a lot of ways because the Daleks aren't you know super central to the it, it, it's a Davros story for sure and if you can't separate one from the other then I guess it's a Dalek story but um they're really not super important yeah. to anything that happens in the, in the arcs of the characters here so Right. Uh, a, yeah, it's it, and you could argue in that regard that it suffers from the same problem as the two Eric Sayward mid-80s Dalek st- scripts, that they're really more Davros stories than they are Dalek mm-hmm. stories. And that, you know, in some ways that the Daleks become subordinate to their creator, and for that matter, vice versa. Um, but it's, you know, it, it depends on what you're expecting from the story, I think, as to whether that's going to be a good thing, a bad thing, yeah. in right. between. Right. Right. Uh, and the Daleks didn't even make it to the title of this I story. Know, so. No, 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 <laughs> Daleks yeah. here. So. <laughs> I read one interesting bit of trivia on the TARDIS fandom, which is that Stephen Moffat first offered uh, this to Rus- Russell Davies to write, since he had brought back Davros. Um, but I guess Russell Davies wasn't interested at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this was this was in his period where he said, "No, I'm done with Doctor Who. I'll do little bits and pieces to promote stuff, but I'm I'm not going to write episodes again." And Oh, how times have changed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, you get some distance from it, and you're maybe you got a little nostalgic. What's the... Yeah, yeah. Um, I never really liked the idea. This is another gri- gripe. If I have to make one, I guess I don't. I could have just let it go, but um, I never really liked. This comes up, you know, quite a few times during the Stephen Moffat era. I, I don't really like the concept of the Doctor throwing around regeneration energy like he's some kind of a superhero, mm. like. <laughs> That's never been one of my favorite things. However, it's rarely ever ruined a story for me either, so it's just kind of like, oh, it's it's that thing again. And but, um, so it, there's a little bit of that here, and I'm, you know. Well, I mean, we know that time lords can trigger their regenerations voluntarily, right? So right. I yeah. guess he can he can do a little little just my finger, just a little finger. Yeah, yeah no, it's <laughs> certainly by this point understood to be, uh, dare I say the word canon? I don't really mean that, but you know. It's it's understood in the con you know in the context of the series that yes they can do that so it's more proof of the timeless yeah. child <laughs> right. which nobody knew about yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah so. hashtag Morbius doctors <laughs> so yeah I think uh, I think that's really everything I have I got to most of the stuff and we're um, running a little short on time here so i think i'll just uh if you have any any final closing things and then let's let's give this thing a grade out of five slime daleks that's what will uh be uh for our grading <laughs> system this evening uh, oh. oh i like i said i i'm sure i'll think of more things later but <laughs> uh, yeah note to self back back to pencil and paper to make my notes <laughs> Uh, I think I've said about everything I I had made sort of mental notes on. So. Okay. Well, what would you give it if you graded on a out of five slime Daleks? Where does this one land for you guys? I'm going to go between either nine or nine point five for me. Out of ten. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did you say I out, of said five? out of five? Sorry. But I'll, I'll take it out of ten. Oh, so. but then I'll go with four point five. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I think I I would go about that as well. I think I'd give it a four point five. Yeah, you know, it's got some minor it's got some minor plot issues, but it it's especially that first episode and going into that cliffhanger is just superb stuff. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm right there with you. I'm gonna go with for a a four point five on this one as well. It's 
it's as much as like we we picked on a little bit of the plotting stuff in it. There's just so much good going on. So much, so many good, memorable, even classic at this point lines and dialogue pieces in it. Uh, just really a great story. That's an incredibly interesting Doctor Who story. I think because we talked early on in the show about how it's not really a you know um, slam bang action thriller of any sort. It's just a lot of you know. It's kind of a couple of conversations <laughs> that, that, that take place throughout the course of two episodes, but I've glued to the screen the whole time. So, um, yeah, no, it's it's really great stuff. I was really uh, I I liked it the first time around. I think I I score it even higher than I would have then. I think I really enjoyed coming back to this one. So, um, yeah, I think so too. Yeah, made me a little nostalgic for this era. And of course, I've never been I've never been. Uh, I've never tried to convince anyone I wasn't a fan of the Moffat era because I am quite a big fan of it. So, um, but yeah, it's a it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed rewatching it. Oh yeah, yeah. We should probably talk about what we're gonna do next time. So <laughs> I almost forgot to hit the button. Uh, let's hit the big red button yes. on the uh, machine we call the randomizer and see what we are up to next time. <laughs> Next time we are going to be reading a no- Doctor Who novel called The Cabinet of Light by Daniel O'Mahony. And this, I believe, was originally published as part of uh, Telos um, Publishing's series of Doctor Who novellas. And then their something with the licensing of Who was lost. But it actually kicks off the uh, series... Uh, Time Hunter series, which we actually read the concluding book of. So we are doing this backwards. We read uh, the con- the big conclusion a few shows back, and now we're going to check out The Cabinet of Light, which kicks that series off. So um, go get a copy of that. It's very inexpensive if you are a Kindle reader and uh, shoot over to... Um, Amazon and get that on Kindle. Uh, I got a very affordable uh, paperback version of it. Just uh, you may want to, unless you are, you know, a collector um, who seriously wants to invest in the having the original Telos novella. Uh, it is a little cost prohibitive to get that. And the only difference you're going to find in them is the Telos original version of this uh, actually features the character of the Doctor as uh, as we know him. They had to change that after their license status. Um, changed, and we get Doctor Smith instead in the in the newer version. Yes, so, but anyway, so I'm looking forward to checking that out and seeing where uh, all of this uh, started. So, it's only 106.95 plus shipping on eBay. At the yeah, <laughs> that's reasonable, right? <laughs> for <laughs> or you know, pay what is it 2.99 for the ebook if. Uh, yeah, something yeah. like that. It'd be a great collector's yeah. piece if you're into collecting Doctor Who's book, Doctor Who books, and so mm-hmm. <laughs> certainly worth it if you are. But if if maybe that's not your thing, the ebook is out there as well. So. I saw that somebody, I think there was like the bought the torn cover of maybe the first Batman comic for like twenty six hundred bucks <laughs> with no cover. They tore. Oh god! No, it was just oh, the just cover. the cover. Okay. <laughs> I think. <laughs> I guess that's better than the uh, the. Uh, well, I don't know if it's better. It depends what you want it for. But <laughs> so, um, yep. if anyone out there has uh, some any thoughts on uh, the Magician's Apprentice uh, or the Witch's Familiar, um, 
we'd love to hear them and you can interact with us on twitter at uh, police box pod or uh, shoot us an email if you're still doing uh that old-fashioned kind of so we we're just talking about taking notes on paper so of course we're the kind of but uh shoot us an email at uh policeboxpodcast at gmail.com uh let us know what you think what your uh review of the episode is and uh maybe next month we can um read those online if we get any so or on the on the show if we get any so um we'd love to hear what you guys think um always love to hear the comment on the facebook page too. yeah yeah i got a we got the facebook page too and actually i was going to put that in the news bit i actually have transitioned to a facebook page rather than group it just is a little bit easier for for me to manage to have a business page gives me some promotional tools behind the scenes stuff is the reason i did that um we're obviously still welcome to interact with us uh send me a message through there post things on our page it should still be um easy to interact that way but uh so yeah if you're still if you're in the if you were in the facebook group and you haven't followed the facebook page please do so because we are going to archive the group here eventually (laughs) um we want to make sure you're you're still with us but and uh, as always, I want to thank you guys. It was a good conversation. This might be uh, one of our longest episodes, and we used to cover like three things on an episode at, <laughs> at one point. So, uh, lots of good stuff to talk about in this one. So, uh, thanks for joining me. We will do it again next month. So thank you to everybody out there listening. Thank you. Um, I'm Eric Branson. This has been the Police Box in the Junkyard Podcast. Hope you will come back and join us next time. Have a good evening. Yeah. Woohoo. Thank you for listening to the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. A proud member of Direction Point, a Doctor Who podcast network. Join Eric, Asad, and Matthew next time for another random review from the worlds of Doctor Who. Everything ends, as always sad. Send your feedback to policeboxpodcast at gmail.com and remember if you take the time to write it, we'll take the time to read it. Until next time. One day, I shall come back. Yes, I shall come back. It's the end that the moment has been prepared for. The Doctor Who theme was composed by Ron Grainer and arranged as Doctor Who Retro Theme by Neon Frontier. All rights to Doctor Who and its related materials belong to the BBC. Some of there's danger. Some of there's injustice. Somewhere else the tea's getting cold. Come on, Ace. We've got work to do. Direct Checkpoint! Direct Checkpoint! A Doctor Who Podcast Network.